I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey, bada, 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 swing, bada. Helmets off is on. Hey, folks, welcome to another episode of Helmets Off. Scott Mitchell, your host here. That's a fun show today. Uh, Charlie Brewer was at three games and done at the University of Utah. He's out. Zach Wilson's a rookie. What's he playing like? A rookie. Oh, and. Uh, Connor McGregor, are you kidding? <laughs> Throwing out first pitches, pretty uh, brutal. Uh, I'll tell you about an experience I had throwing out a first pitch in a Major League Baseball game. All right, folks, uh, let's get at it, though. Uh, Charlie Brewer. <laughs> when he came to the University of Utah in the spring and he had the whole spring to himself and he looked so sharp, he looked good, he was making all the throws. Oh, my goodness, I was so excited for Charlie Brewer. I was so excited for the University of Utah football team. It was a veteran, well-seasoned quarterback who had a lot of experience, a lot of success. And I think everybody thought Utah is just going to run the table and off they go. In their non-conference game against, uh, you know, basically non-Power 5 teams, they went 1-2. and two. They lost their last two non-conference, one to BYU, who's a pretty good team. One to San Diego State, who's a pretty good team. And uh, Utah did not show up in either one of those games. Charlie Brewer was just a slightly pedestrian, not great. They bring in Cam Rising, who's another uh, transfer uh, from Texas, who had won the starting job a year ago, got injured, lost it to Charlie Brewer this year. And uh, he comes in in the second half and sparks the Utes to what almost was a, a victory. And so two days later, Charlie Brewer, uh, he's out. He's gone. He's done. And, you know, it's one of those things where I'm not shocked at all by this. I was a little bit because he only had one season left. What I didn't realize is Charlie Brewer actually has a redshirt. So he can go somewhere. He can redshirt this year, go somewhere, and then still have one year left. This is a great example of what's really going on at the University of Utah and Charlie Brewer is not the right fit. Here's why. It's really simple. The DNA of the Utah football program is is based on Kyle Whittingham. He's a defensive-minded coach. He's a defensive-minded coach that says we're going to keep football games close and we're going to we're going to win close football games. 
That's we're not going to get blown out. We're going to make teams earn everything they get against us. We don't think people can consistently do that on us. And uh, and then we're we're going to play not to mess it up offensively. So what you do not messing it up offensively is you run the football. Utah has been known as a tough run first, slug it out type of offense. Kyle Whittingham has departed from that. He's departed from his DNA. He's departed from his axis. He's, he's out of his comfort zone. And his comfort zone is running the football, and he doesn't have a team built he want to run it. So now what he's trying to do is be the spread offense with a defensive run-first mindset. And it doesn't work. It doesn't mesh. It doesn't – it doesn't uh, – it never works. I mean, Utah has a fourth and two going in at halftime against BYU, and they spread out the formation and run a dive play and don't get the first down. That's not what Utah does. Utah can't get a first down on third and short to save its life running the football, or fourth and short for that matter. They, 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 can't, they can't line up and just blow people off the football line up with a, you know, a heavy backfield and just run the football. And they're trying to be this spread offense. They're trying to be what Charlie Brewer is. Charlie Brewer is not a running quarterback by himself to start with. He's not a running quarterback. And he's not a quarterback that's good in a run offense. Utah, historically, you watch them, they will run about 90% of the time on second down, if not more. And when you're always running on second down, teams, which BYU and uh, San Diego State just lined up and teed off and put eight, nine guys at the line of scrimmage on second down, and Utah ran the football. And in running the football, they put themselves in third and long. And I'll just tell you, playing quarterback in any league, high school, college, or professionally, with always being in third and long, you can't do anything. You are, it's not working. So forget it. So um, it's not really all Charlie Brewer's fault. Uh, I mean, he did not play well. He did not look comfortable. He did not execute well. He did not look like the Charlie Brewer that I think everybody kind of thought would happen. And what happened is Utah got a couple of turnovers and Coach Whittingham just pulled the reins back. And that's that that's so he so you've got a coach who's trying a philosophy that he's not comfortable with, that he doesn't know, that he doesn't want. And you have a quarterback who doesn't fit the system. And Charlie Brewer did not fit the system. Why did Cam Rising come in and succeed immediately? Uh, Cam Rising's athletic. He's a he's a guy that ran around, made plays a few years ago. Uh, Utah went to the Pac-12 championship two years in a row. They had a quarterback in Tyler Huntley who wasn't really a running quarterback, but he's a guy that could run out of trouble. And uh, Charlie Brewer wasn't that guy. And so if you're going to succeed as a quarterback at Utah, you have to be super mobile. You have to be able to run because you have an offensive line that's really built to run. They're not great pass blocking offensive linemen. They let guys go free all the time. And for that reason, 
you better have a quarterback that's a magician and can get out of trouble. And that's been the that's been the MO for Utah for probably the last four or five years. So Cam Rising, I think, will do better than Charlie Brewer just because he moves around a little bit better. He can make things happen. It's really kind of um, it's 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 a situation where no one's wrong here. Like I'm not I'm not saying this is a bad philosophy. It's served Kyle Whittingham very well, but it is his philosophy, and that's who they are. And that's why they're not going to attract high caliber wide receivers. It's not why they're going to attract great quarterbacks at Utah, because that's not who they are. They're not uh, they're not a team uh, that uh, you, you know like an an Oklahoma or some of these teams that you know or USC or I mean I don't want to say Oregon because Cristobal is a run first guy and and. Uh, and they've had some tremendous recruiting classes there. So it's just a match made in hell between uh, Utah and Charlie Brewer. And it's nobody's fault. It's one of those things with the transfer portal. You got to look really, really careful at, one, who you go after, but also as a player, where you go. Because it matters. It matters significantly. All right, going to take a break. Um, well, Zach Wilson, second pick of the draft. What kind of years he had? Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson. And unfortunately... We're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, sports fans, welcome back. Scott Mitchell here. It's Helmets Off. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, oh, boy. The NFL is in full swing. It's fun to watch every year. There's always a quarterback or two or five. They get drafted early in the first round, and there's all this expectation. And over 50% of them uh, actually fail probably more than that. So just to get a guy doesn't mean you're going to have a guy. And there's five that have played this year in the first round. And who knows uh, who will end up being the best. But typically the guys that get drafted later tend to have earlier success. And a lot of that's because they're on better teams. The guys that get drafted early are usually on bad teams. And it may take a, a, a hot minute before they actually actually succeed. So it's um, so much of who's around you. Kind of like Charlie Brewer. I mean, it's the type of offense you're in and, and, and you know, what you have. So, so Zach Wilson played at BYU, uh, has second pick in the draft, had a great uh, junior year, looked amazing. 
a lot of people really high on him. A lot of a lot of national pundits were like, this guy may be the best quarterback in the draft. This guy has the biggest upside. This guy looks like this. You know, he looks like some of the great players in the league today. And in the preseason, Zach looked pretty good. But you're against teams that don't game plan for you, run pretty vanilla defenses. The speed is just just above the speed of maybe what you'd see in college. It's not anything that blows anyone out of the water. Then the regular season starts. And what you find is first half of, of Zach Wilson's very first game, he looked like a rookie. And then in the second half, all of a sudden, he saw some glimpses. He came back. He made some nice throws. They scored some touchdowns. They made the game a game, but still lost. And that was week one. And week one really is kind of a microcosm of year one, maybe year one and a half, maybe year two. And that's just the reality of most, most young quarterbacks. And, and Zach Wilson, provided he stays healthy, statistically will have a decent year this year. And, and they're not going to win a lot of football games. And you're going to see, you're going to see ups and downs. So, so this next week, who does he play? Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick's made everyone look bad. I mean, he made Peyton Manning look bad for decades. And Peyton Manning's in the Hall of Fame. So you have Zach Wilson against Bill Belichick. It's not a fair fight. It, it doesn't even come close to a fight. It doesn't come close to anything. And, and so you can't really expect for uh, Zach to, to have a get great game. He threw four interceptions. I think he had four interceptions and four completions at one point in the game. And it was ugly. And you're going to have those ugly, ugly games. And so people are going to be like, you can't go on this roller coaster ride. You can't be like, oh, he's a bust. And, and then the next week he's great. Oh, he's great this week. That you stay off that roller coaster. You don't even, you don't even, you just don't even get on that roller coaster because that's what it's going to be. It's impossible to take a young quarterback and put them in game situations, in game speed, where you got to make a game speed decision. And you can't practice everything. You can't practice it enough to where they get it. And the only way you get it is to go through it. And when you go through it, it stinks. You have good moments and you have bad moments. And the reality is there's no, there's no such thing as a bad moment for a young quarterback. All of it's learning. The key is, is, is what do you get out of it? I, I heard a comment from Trevor Lawrence, and he, he, you know, he's going through the same process. And in his mind, it's like, how do I keep my confidence up as I'm going through this. And I, I think it's a great lesson for life. You know, when, you, when you're going through a growth period, because that's what this is, growing pains are brutal. They're painful. They're awful. They're not fun. But to go through it, maintain your mental state, your, your confidence, your perspective, to not let it eat you up. Remember Sam Darnold. He's out there going, and I'm seeing, I'm seeing ghosts out there. And everyone's like, whoa, this guy, you know, and that's a, I love that reaction because it's a real one. It's kind of how it feels sometimes. Like, I don't know where that guy came from. He came out of nowhere. Because it just, it just goes by. It happens so quickly. And now look at, now look at Sam Darnold. Three, four years into it, he's starting to get comfortable. He gets a new surroundings. 
a new, a new fresh start. And he's playing so much better, but he's playing so much better because of all that he went through with the Jets. So I don't know if Zach Wilson will ultimately fight it out and have success in New York. The odds are certainly against him just because of history. And there's just some organizations that are just, you know, uh, a killing field to, to quarterbacks. And, you know, it's a, it's a death sentence to go to certain organizations. The Jets kind of been one. Whether that, will that, whether that changes, that remains to be seen. The, the way you have to look at Zach Wilson is really year to year. You can't look game to game. You can't look, you just have to look year to year. He'll get through this year. And then the next time he goes through this, so much of what he stresses and worries about, he'll go, oh, that, I didn't need to worry about that. This is where I need to focus. You learn so much better about what to study, what to learn, what to do. You learn about situations and handling them. And then you get to like a Drew Brees and an Aaron Rodgers and a Tom Brady level. And it's just, it just becomes automatic. And a lot of where it becomes automatic is these players kind of stuck in a system pretty much their entire careers. And it's so, so important to be in that right situation. It kind of feels like that's the theme of the day is make sure you're in a situation where you can flourish. And I, I think the organization, I think the coaches for the Jets are behind Zach Wilson. I mean, they picked him the second pick in the draft. They got to they gotta like to go. So hopefully they'll figure it out. Just you got to give it time. And time is like years. I mean, it's almost like growing grapes, you know, with, with these young quarterbacks. It just, it takes a lot of time, a lot of pruning, a lot of sunshine, and a lot of rain. All right, we're going to take another break here. Uh, um, Connor McGregor threw out a pitch that was like, oh, my goodness. Anyways, I'll tell you about when I threw out a pitch in a Major League Baseball game. Yeah, it was really bad. Not mine. His was was bad. All right. We'll be back in a second. Hey, folks. Welcome back. It is uh, Helmets Off. Scott Mitchell here. And, uh, yep, uh, final segment of the show. Connor McGregor actually threw out a first pitch uh, of a Major League Baseball game. And, uh, well, it was pretty bad. It was, like, super bad. And, of course, you know, you've had people throughout the ages who have thrown out first pitches, and some of them pretty good, and some of them maybe not so much. Uh, a lot of it depends on athleticism. A lot of it depends on, you know, uh, you know pretty much that. Age sure plays into it, but uh, uh, seeing a one or two hopper to a home plate usually is, uh, you know, usually what happens. I was fortunate enough uh, in my, my life to actually throw out the first pitch of a, of a Major League Baseball game. It was the Montreal Expos, and they were playing the Chicago Cubs. And it was in Montreal. It was, uh, I was playing in the World League, and we were having the World Bowl in Montreal. And uh, I got to go. Uh, I was there a whole week. And so we, we went uh, and actually threw out a, a pitch uh, against um, uh, when the when the Expos and the and the the Cubs were playing, really cool. So go out on the mound, and the the game's about to start. And uh, Gary Carter is uh, is the catcher, right? 
So Hall of Famer, you know, they had this thing on the Mets and the 86 Mets. And of course, he was a catcher for the Mets then. But uh, Gary Carter was playing for the Expos at the time. Super nice guy. And we're, we're standing there before we go out on the mound. And uh, he goes, um, do, you, do you think you could uh, get me one of those World League footballs? And I'm like, yeah, of course. He goes, I'll give you a baseball bat if you give me if you give me a world a world bowl ball. It's done. So I have Gary Carter's bat, which is cool. And uh, I got a I got a baseball signed by Gary Carter. Well, we go out on the mound, and I'm with the other quarterback for the other team, David Archer, who actually played quite a few years in the NFL. He played for the other team. We both throw out pitches, you know, for for you know, it's like a dual pitching uh first pitch uh actually threw a nice strike by the way and uh we're like two kids in a candy store and we're having this conversation with gary carter and all this stuff and um the, the pr people are freaking out because we're not leaving the field we're just hanging out along the first baseline chatting with all the players oblivious to any of this and they're like, they're playing the national anthem. So just stand there. So we stand there with all the players and, and uh, we, we, we do the, you know, the national anthem. Well, we're still talking to the players and they're playing the Cubs. And I'm like, hey, do you think I could get Ryan Sandberg's autograph? Gary Carter says, yeah, just run over the dugout, see if he'll sign it for you. So we go trucking over to the, to the Chicago Cubs dugout. Remind you, this is right before baseball game started. They've thrown out the first pitch. They've had the national anthem. And there are two yahoos in football jerseys running around on the field trying to get everybody's autograph. So we go into the Cubs dugout. Ryan Sandberg's sitting in there. Of course, he's getting ready to hit because the game's getting ready to start. And we're like, hey, could, could you sign these balls for us? And he's so Ryan Sandberg. So I got Gary Carter and Ryan Sandberg, Hall of Famers, on this baseball. And I'm completely oblivious to the start of this game. And mind you, this has probably been, I don't know, a good five or six minutes this this goes on. And finally, like, y'all have to get off of the field. They're waiting for you to get off the field so they can start the baseball game. And we had no idea. We, we were just like, we were two kids in a candy store and we thought we had just, you know, won the lottery. We were so pumped up, so excited about this, this experience. And so we're like, and so now we're panicked and we run off the field and, and that was the end of the experience. And I, I think about it a lot. Like if someone came on to an NFL field and, and I'm getting ready to start a game and they're like, Hey, um, not saying the national anthem day, the game, could I, could I get your autograph on a, on a football here or something? And I, I, I don't know how I would just, I would be such in a zone, you know, of, of, of ready to play. And it would be like, what are you doing on the field kind of thing? Anyways, that was, that was kind of, for me, uh, it was a cool moment. It was like one of those things where, man, I'm so glad I, I got the chance to do that, you know, cause not a lot of people get that chance. And, and it was, it was a cool thing to do. And then, of course, getting the autographs and getting a bat from Gary Carter. It was, that was a special day. All right, well, uh, that's it for Helmets Off, folks. Uh, 
uh, Helmets Off is now off. Uh, go find us on Facebook at the Helmets Off Podcast, Twitter at the Helmets Off Show. And until then, we will see you then. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.